I think that there are days that um, get burned into our minds. Whoa, that almost hit my foot off. Um, there's days that are kind of burned into our minds. Uh, for me, September 11th is one of those days. Um, for those of you who were alive, I've, there's probably quite a few who maybe weren't. But on September 11th, it, it's one of those days that just burn into your mind. And Sarah and I had gotten married about a month before. And we lived in Belmont. If you know anything about Belmont, it's kind of southeast Dayton. And so we're, um, everything happens in the morning and we're at home later in the day. And we're sitting at the kitchen table. And I hear the loudest boom I have ever heard in my life. And it truly shakes the whole house. And um, I'd be lying if I said I already wasn't flipped out prior to that. But then when that boom just shook our whole house, I really flipped out. Um, well, then we went in and we started watching the news and we turned the news on. And the news um, said that there is an unconfirmed plane that has crashed into the VA hospital in Dayton. Does anybody remember that that happened? That the news kind of falsely reported that? And so the, the VA hospital was seven miles from our house. So before I was flipped out, but it was like, it was over there, right? And then now it's like, it is, it's right here. And um, I was pretty flipped out, I won't lie. Um, I remember it was being, being the first time as like a husband that Sarah's kind of coming to me like, what do we do? And I'm kind of like, hang on, let me call my dad. Dad, what? You know, I just didn't really know what was going on and what to do. And, but there was this loud noise and there was something that we saw on the news. And really, I tell you that because the, what we're going to talk about today is actually kind of similar. There's a very loud noise. And then they see something. This group of people sees something. And to be honest with you, it flips them out. For, for us, that noise, that loud boom, actually happened to be a sonic boom. It was a plane taking off from Wright Pat, and it broke the sound barrier. I don't understand any of the science behind this. And then just boom, enough to shake me inside. And the plane, like I said, it didn't crash. It was, they, it was a false report. There was just a prairie fire over in that area. But we heard the noise. We saw something. For the people in our text today, they hear the sound of a mighty rushing wind. And then they see something. They, they, they go out, and what they see is tongues of fire coming down from the sky and resting on 120 people. They were flipped out. What they saw next was those 120 people speaking in tongues. And they thought, these people have to be drunk. For me, um, September 11th, something I heard and something I saw caused me to flip out. And I think in our text, something that they hear and something that they see will cause them to flip out. But that's what we're talking about today. If you know much about the Bible, we're talking about Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. It's when the Holy Spirit comes down. And, and, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. And if you've been around, we, you know this. If you haven't, I'll kind of catch you up. We've been in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is a sequel book. It's, the first book is Luke. So it's Luke is book one. Acts is book two. In the first book, it's really about all Jesus began to do and teach until he ascends into heaven. But then book two, it's kind of like the book of Acts is really what, what comes next? What happens next? What is Jesus continuing to do even though he's ascended into heaven? And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. Um, a little, a little kind of brief thing in between. Jesus has died. He's risen. He's given, been on, on earth again for 40 days, presented himself alive. He tells his disciples, go to Jerusalem and wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And then he ascends into heaven. And he's, before that, he says, you'll be my witnesses. So he ascends into heaven. And then the, the disciples the, and the group, the women and these people, they go to Jerusalem and they wait. 
and they are continually devoting themselves to prayer. And then last week, one of the things that they do, they're kind of even really digging through the Word, trying to figure out what God's plan has been from the beginning, and they're trying to figure all this out, and they replace um, Judas. Judas had betrayed Jesus, so they replace Judas with a guy named Matthias as the 12th disciple. And so then they're there just hanging out in Jerusalem, and this happens, a loud noise, something that they see that's crazy that leads them to fear, really. So, if you have a Bible, Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 13 is what we will be reading. I will do my best with some of these names. Don't judge me if I say it wrong. I probably will. If you know how to say it better, well, then you should be preaching. (laughs) Okay, here we go. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound of a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in his own native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongue the mighty works of God. And they were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking and said, they are filled with new wine. Let's pray. God, um, this is a text that I think um, has been misunderstood. I think it's a text that is um, controversial. I think it's a text that could lead us to go many places. And so, God, I just pray that you would help me to to communicate what I believe that you have called me to. And if there's any part of that that I'm not supposed to, you would uh, silence that. But, God, I pray that you, as you say in your word, that your word is used um, to teach us, rebuke us, correct us, and train us in righteousness. I pray that you would do that. You, in your word, you say that your your word is sharper than a double-edged sword. So, Lord, I pray that you would use it in a powerful way even today. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's what we're going to do. We are going to talk about first what I think the heart of this text is, okay? That's going to be the first, like, point one. It's going to be a long point, but point one is really what this text is all about. And then the second thing I'm going to do is, like, if you think of an onion, I'm going to take a piece of this text, and if you think of an onion, I'm going to peel it back, because I think as you peel it back, there are going to be some amazing things that you will see. Um, Part two could get a little bit... um, Uh, heady, and so I'm going to do part one first. So really, what is the heart of this text? The heart of this text is really that God is giving them the Holy Spirit. It's it's kind of cut and dry. He's giving them the Holy Spirit, right? And we've been talking about the Holy Spirit, but what happens in this moment is God is, boom, he's giving them the Holy Spirit. Now, there's other times, if you remember when John the Baptist was baptizing, he's baptizing people, and he says, I baptize you with water, but there's one who will be baptizing you with the Holy Spirit. And so what's happening is God is baptizing them with the Holy Spirit. He's giving them the Holy Spirit. Um, Now, in those same verses, in Matthew and in Luke's account, 
John the Baptist says that one will come who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Whoa, what does that mean? We'll get to that. But what's happening, the heart of what's happening is God is giving them the Holy Spirit. He's clothing them with the Holy Spirit. He's indwelling them with the Holy Spirit. He's sealing them with the Holy Spirit. He's, he's giving them a down payment. He's giving them the inheritance. In this exact moment, boom, that's what's happening. And so this group of people, they are given a helper. This group of people now have one who will convict, who will illuminate, who will teach them. They have one who will guide them, assure them, intercede for them. They're, they're boom, they're given the Spirit right in this moment. They're baptized by the Holy Spirit. Um, now, any of us who have a true re- relationship with Christ, those of us who've been born again, those of us who've been saved, those of us who, who have repented of our sins and been forgiven, at the time of salvation, boom, that's the same thing that happens to us. We are given the Holy Spirit. We have that one indwelling us, sealing us um, as the down payment. So kind of my first question for you to think through is, do you have the Holy Spirit? If your answer is, I'm not sure, then it really leads to, do you have a relationship with Christ? And if the answer to that is yes, then the answer to the second one is yes. You have the Spirit. God has given you the Spirit. You too have been baptized by the Spirit. Um, now, it also says baptized with fire. What do we do with that? Well, if you, if you really do much studying of the, of the Bible, you can see that fire in the Old Testament is almost always associated with God's presence. It's almost always associated with his holiness, with his purification. And so what is so cool is that if, when, when they receive the Spirit and when we receive the Spirit, what happens is, is God's presence has come down into our lives. That means if you're at home, if you go to work, if you, if you have a great day, a bad day, God's presence is there with you. He's inside of you. He's indwelling in you. That should be tremendous hope for us, that we have the Holy Spirit. Um, but again, throughout the Old Testament, you see fire, and fire is always a sign of his presence, his holiness, his purification. Think of Abraham. When Abraham is, is there before God and God's making the covenant, there is a, a, um, like a smoking pot and a flaming torch that passes by because God's presence is there, because God is doing something to draw them into holiness. He's doing something to, to be there in that moment with them. Think about Moses, Moses in the burning bush. Moses is standing there, and there's a, a bush that's on fire that's talking to him, and it's God through his presence speaking to him, and he's, he's drawing them in to holiness. He says, this place is hollow ground, so take off your shoes. It continues in, as, as um, they are led out of Egypt, as Moses is used to lead the people out of Egypt, they're led by a cloud by day and by fire by night. His presence is with them. And so when they are receiving the Holy Spirit and these tongues of fire are coming down, what I think that this means, and I, I'm, I, I'm not saying I'm 100% right on this, but what I think it means is God's presence has just come down, boom, and they now are indwelled with God's presence. Fire is also used when God gives the Ten Commandments. Do you remember this? Mount Sinai? The, the, the mountain is on fire. It's smoking, and all the people down at the base are seeing this fire coming from this mountain. God's um, God's presence is almost always throughout the Old Testament. It's his presence. It's his holiness. It's him purifying. And really, if you think about us getting the spirit, that's exactly what happens. His presence is now inside of us. And what he does is he's purifying us. He's leading us to holiness. That's what the huge part of us having the Holy Spirit is. 
But as we see this, um, there's, they receive the Spirit, they're baptized with the Spirit, but it's not like it's just this one-time thing that then, it, it, okay, it lasts for eight days, now you've got to go get, get it again. Like, when you have the Spirit, you have the Spirit, He's there. Now, I find something interesting in this. So the, the, the tongues of fire come down, rest on them, and then it says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's really odd to me because it, 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 at first glance, seems like it's saying two things. Like they received the Spirit, and then they were filled by the Spirit. I don't know if other people read it that way, but it seems like at first glance that could be what it means. And, and that kind of causes me to kind of have this little wrestling match in my brain. Is that true? Is that not true? You know, because the Bible teaches that um, when, we are, when we come to Christ, we are a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. So that old is gone, right? But then in the same type of text, Peter, or excuse me, Paul is speaking and he says, he says that um, I don't do what I want to do. And I don't do what I want to do, I do what I do. You know what I'm saying, right? Why? Because sin is still living inside of me. And it's this like little chess match of what's going on in this is when you have the Spirit, you are filled by the Spirit, but we don't always live that way. We don't always acknowledge that that has happened. I've, I've heard that this is true. I don't know if it's true, but I've heard that if someone has their arm or leg or whatever amputated, they still feel pain in their fingers. And it's their mind. They, just, they, don't, they can't fathom the fact of their new reality. And I think that that's what it is for us. If we have the Spirit, we're filled by the Spirit, but we have a hard time living in that new reality. And there's this battle that's going on inside of us. The flesh wants what the flesh wants. And the battle is, do we live for the flesh? Do we live for the spirit? But here, here's kind of my point. I think that when we receive the spirit, we are fully filled by the spirit. However, we don't always live with that reality. Does that make sense? So here, otherwise, I don't think that the, 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 that the Bible would tell us that we should um, yield to the spirit. We should not grieve the Holy Spirit, that we should make sure that we are in step with the spirit, that we do not want to suppress the spirit. We do not want to um, uh, quench the spirit. We should not neglect the gift of the spirit. I don't think it would go into so much detail about do we live by the flesh, do we live by the spirit. Here is what I'm getting to. I think in this text, you see this group of people who have received the spirit and who are filled by the spirit. I think that you can have the Spirit and not be filled by the Spirit. Here. Not in reality, but here. And I'll tell you why. Have you ever had a moment where you feel like you know that God is leading you to do something, to say something, and you choose not to do it? I can tell you from experience that has happened in my life. I know, I see you shaking your head, Randy. Randy, I've, I've heard stories of you knowing God is leading me to this, and I, and I, I, I didn't do it. And what's so cool about God is he's still going to make a way for what to happen that's supposed to happen. And, but you know what? In that moment, what we have done is we have not lived in the reality that we are filled by the Spirit. We've lived in this false reality, and we've lived by our flesh rather than by the Spirit. Um, this group of men, they receive the Spirit, and they are filled by the Spirit. I think that there's this piece of me that thinks like, well, once I receive the Spirit, the enemy won't mess with me anymore. 
That is so not true. In fact, I think it's kind of the opposite. I think when you're, when you're living for the flesh and you don't care about living for the flesh, that's just what life's all about, why is he going to tempt you with certain things? You're already so distracted. And I came to know the Lord, and I felt like the enemy attacked me in ways that I never was prepared for. I was, but I didn't think I was. But I think that we um, kind of think, well, I have the Spirit, so I'm okay now. But, but I think that the enemy comes. The Bible teaches that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He's like a roaring lion. It, uh, Jesus says to, to Peter that, that, that Satan wants to sift you like wheat. And I think the result of that is we don't live a life that is filled with the Spirit. And I can tell you I am so guilty of that. Um, my first question was, do you have the Spirit? My second question is, are you filled by the Spirit? If the answer is no, you know, I, man, this, I'm just so distracted by life, by work, by kids, by, by stuff. Man, I would challenge you, just confess that to the Lord. Ask for forgiveness and say, Lord, I want to be just yours. Please just fill me up. But this group of people, they are... Um, they have the Spirit, and they are filled by the Spirit. You know, I, um, I have a dog, um, and just a couple days ago, um, Caitlin, are you in here? I, saw, I thought I saw Caitlin. Caitlin had um, Oliver over at the park, okay? And Oliver had to pee. We live right next to Mound Park. And Oliver had to pee, and the, the door was closed. And so she came over to our house, and guess what? She saw the dog. She already knows we have a dog, but she saw the dog. The dog's just hanging out, sitting on the couch, just chilling with his arm up, or her arm up on the couch, just hanging out, right? But if you come over to our house on a night that we have house church at our house, you won't see that we have a dog. Why is that? Because we put the dog in the cage. Um, some people call it a crate because it sounds better, but look, my dog gets to sit on the couch. She can sit in the cage, right? Um, Got to balance it out. I think that we do this with the Holy Spirit. I think if we are honest, we are scared of the results of living by the Spirit, of being filled by the Spirit. So you know what I think that we try to do? I think that what we are doing is we're quenching the Spirit, we're suppressing the Spirit, we're, 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 we're kind of putting the Spirit in the cage, like, yeah, Spirit, I'm, I'm all about you letting me come up here and read a verse, that's just fine. But, but changing my life radically, me moving somewhere, me, me being that guy at work, being whatever it is, we, we, we kind of just cage the Spirit because it's scary to us. And I can tell you that this happens in my own life. And again, if, if that is you, I pray that you would ask for forgiveness. I pray that I would ask for forgiveness and ask God, God, let me yield to the Spirit that is already within me. But they have the Spirit. They're filled by the Spirit. What does it really mean to be filled by the Spirit? Ephesians 5.18, my paraphrase, it says, Do not get drunk, but be filled with the Spirit. And it seems like, why are they making a comparison to being drunk and to the Spirit? You thought about that? Like, what is the comparison there? Here's what happens when you are drunk or when you are high, whatever, when you have a substance that is filling you, you are giving yourself up to that. You're giving control over to that. Anyone who struggled with addiction can tell you, yeah, that's exactly, you just, control is gone. That thing has control now. You are submitting to it. You're releasing yourself to it. You're yielding to it. It is what is dominating you. And so God is saying is for us to be filled by the Spirit means that we are dominated by Him, that we have fully yielded to Him. We're giving up control to the Spirit to guide us. 
where we are to go. It means that he is the vine and we are simply a branch. That's easier said than done. Um, But this group of people in this text, they're given the Spirit, they're filled by the Spirit, um, but that's not all. They're being used by the Spirit. They um, are enabled, empowered, and they do something that's crazy. They speak in tongues. Pause. Side sermon, okay? We're pausing on the sermon. We're going somewhere different. Speaking in tongues. I, there's, there's no way that we could do probably even five messages to cover all about speaking in tongues of what the Bible has to say. So I want to tell you just this. There are basically, very basic, three things that somebody means when they, speak about, when they talk about speaking in tongues. I'm not saying whether these are biblical, not biblical. We're, we're just saying there's three things that people might be talking about when they say speaking in tongues. The first one is it's a known language. Okay, so the example of that is I'm standing here, let's say there's a couple people who only understand Spanish. And then all of a sudden, I or someone else is speaking in Spanish. They don't know Spanish. They've never spoke Spanish before, but boom, they're speaking in fluent Spanish and this person understands it. That's one thing that people talk about when they talk about speaking in tongues. That's what this text is talking about, okay? We'll pause there. So now there's number two. The second thing that some people talk about when they talk about speaking in tongues, it's when someone speaks with language that no one knows what it means. It it sounds like just gibberish. So somebody stands up and just says things and nobody knows. It's kind of like when a phone rings, you know? Um, Somebody stands up and they start speaking in a language that nobody knows. Some people would call it like the, the, the angel's language or people will call it all sorts of different things but it's basically one is a known language two is an unknown language sometimes um there's an interpreter who who is able to interpret that message and sometimes there aren't there's there's through scripture it talks about interpreters but but that's neither here nor there we don't have enough time to dive into it so one speaking in tongues known language two unknown language three is a prayer language there's a verse in the Bible that talks about that we have groanings too deep for words. And so the people who would talk about this, it would basically be that maybe they're in their prayer closet, they're in their own room praying, and they're kind of, you know, that whole, God, you are holy, you are awesome, you are mighty. And, and as time goes on, their words are no longer words that make any sense. But yet they know that, they would say that they know that God um, understands what they're saying, and they, don't, they know that their words aren't communicating but they know that their heart is connected to God. That's how I think people would would describe that. So when someone talks about speaking in tongues, those are probably baseline of three things that they're talking about. But again, in this specific text, it appears to be known languages. And it appears that way because they say, we're hearing in our native tongue. We're hearing in our own language. It says it multiple times. And so for this particular time, that is what's ta- being talked about. And we'll, um, I'm sure as we dive through the word, we're going to come back to some of those others. But um, that's what this particular one is. And so they have the Spirit. They're filled by the Spirit. And they're being used by the Spirit. It says, as the Spirit gave them utterance. So God is giving them the words to speak even though they don't know that language. And there's, it, it, it gives you a list of 15 different nations, different people groups, and we have at least 15 different languages 
And these 120 people had these tongues of fire come down upon them, and now they are speaking in a, in a native tongue that these people are able to understand and to hear the word of God. And they have no idea what to do with it. They are bewildered. Uh, wildered, you know, it's got the wild right in there. They think that what is happening is absolutely wild. But the, the fact of it is, is they have the Spirit, they're filled by the Spirit, and they're being used by the Spirit. Question for us, if you have the Spirit, and if you feel like you're, uh, you're seeking to yield to the Spirit, so yeah, you're, you have the Spirit, you're filled by the Spirit to some degree, and obviously God is, we're all in a process of dying to self and allowing God to reign in and through us, um, but are you being used by the Spirit? Are you trying to listen and to yield to the Spirit? These, these people are. I heard this thing on the radio this week. Um, it was a lady who, she walks in her neighborhood. She lives in the neighborhood of a little bit older people. And she was just walking in her neighborhood. It might have been a guy, I don't remember. But this person's walking through the neighborhood. And they just kind of get this, just, just this they, they feel like they just hear the Spirit. It's not an it, it's a him. They feel like they hear him say, why don't you just pick up the newspapers of every house that's getting a newspaper and just take it to their front steps. You're already out walking. And it seems so small that it's almost like, well, that couldn't have been the Spirit. That was just, you know, whatever. And, but this person did it. And it went on to talk about the, the ramification throughout that neighborhood just by this person listening to the Spirit, being willing to pick up a newspaper, walk it up to a door, and set it down and keep doing that for the whole neighborhood as he or she was just out on their walk. Um... It's powerful, right? But us as a people, are we, do we have the Spirit? Are we filled by the Spirit? Are we being used by the Spirit? These people in this text, the heart of what this text is, we see a people who have the Spirit, are filled by the Spirit, and are being used by the Spirit. But that's not all that's happening. I think the other thing that you really see that is happening is this. Um, I think what you see is that that. that God is uniting a people to himself. Many people would describe it as he is birthing the church in this moment. Um, if you don't know much about the Bible, you might get a little bit in the clouds for a second, and I apologize. For those of you who do, think back to the Tower of Babel. It's Genesis chapter 11. God had created everything, right? And then there was the fall, there was Noah and the ark, and then all these group, this big group of people, there's only one language in the entire earth, right? And all these people are working together like, let's build a tower. Let's build a tower for ourselves. And so they, they want to make their name great, so they build this tower. And God sees this, just, this group of people filled with pride. And so out of protection for people, what does he do? He scatters them. And he confuses the language. Do you see what is happening in this text? Is he's undoing the Tower of Babel. In the Tower of Babel, they're scattered and language is not understood. What he's doing at the day of Pentecost is he's making language known and he's bringing a group of people together to live for his namesake. This absolutely just blows me away. This group of people are to proclaim his excellencies. This group of people are to um, speak of the great works of God. This isn't a group of people who are seeking to make a name for themselves, but a name for him. 
Um, what is so cool about this is he's uniting these people together. I want you to think through, if you know, um, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. This is what it says. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into the light. God, I think there was a dangerous, there was a, there was a bad thing that I think happened in the church. We started talking about that God wants a personal relationship with you. And don't get me wrong, that is totally true. He wants a personal relationship with you. He wants a personal relationship with me. He wants to save us from our sins. He wants to do all those things. He wants to take us into heaven. But, but even bigger than that, God is looking for a people. He's looking for a body. Like Jesus was on earth and he ascended into heaven, right? But guess what? He's not gone. We, those of us who are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, are the body of Christ. The manifestation of Jesus is still on this earth. Jesus is the head and the church is his body. Um, it's just, it's, to me, this is such a powerful thing that the, the heart of this text is that they have the Spirit. They're filled by the Spirit. They're being used by the Spirit and he is uniting a people to himself to proclaim his excellencies. He's uniting a people to himself to be the body of Christ. Now, um, now let's get into the onion part, okay? Um, when does this happen? This happens, it says, when the day of Pentecost arrived. Pause. What is Pentecost? Pentecost means 50, okay? So, Pentecost means 50. Pentecost, the celebration of Pentecost is 50 days after Passover. Let's go back. The first Passover. Why do they celebrate Passover? The first Passover, if you remember, God's people, the Israelites, are slaves in Egypt. And there's these plagues that happen. This is in Exodus. There's these plagues. God allows plagues to happen so that the Pharaoh will let God's people go. And there's movies that you maybe have seen. Prince of Egypt was a kid's movie that was pretty good that kind of went through all of this stuff. But here's what happens. God let my people go. Pharaoh says no until we get to the last plague, and it's the plague of the death of the firstborn. So all throughout Egypt, the firstborn of every, every person, every animal was going to die that day if he did not let the people go, and he said no. So God tells the Israelites you need to take a pure, spotless lamb. You need to sacrifice the lamb. You need to take the blood and cover your doorpost. And if you are covered by my blood, covered by the blood, you will be spared. So they do it, right? And that is ultimately what leads them out of the promised land. Or out of the promised land. That's, not, that's later. Out of Egypt. That leads them out of Egypt. Guess what happens 50 days later? They go up Mount Sinai, and God gives the law. He gives the Ten Commandments. What is so powerful about the fact that this is happening on Pentecost, because at the first Pentecost, God gives the law, his rule, on stone tablets to the people. Do you know what he's doing here at Pentecost? He's putting the law on our hearts. What is so amazing about that first Pentecost 
is the same as what's happening later. The Bible talks about, in, in Colossians 2, it talks about in Hebrews 8, and it talks about in Hebrews 10, that the things that had happened are a shadow of what's to come. The things that God did and the ways that God did, as we read through the Old Testament, we're like, what in the world is going on here? It's a shadow of what was to come, and it was that Christ would die on Passover. Jesus died on Passover. He is the true, pure, spotless lamb. He is the only way that we are covered. It's the only way that we're protected from death. It's through Christ. That's it. But also on Pentecost, when God gives his, his, his law, what he is doing on this Pentecost is he's writing it on our hearts. Now, um, I want to keep going. I want to keep peeling it back. Pentecost is also known as the Feast of Shavuot. That's probably pronounced wrong. Um, it's Hebrew. What does that word mean? It means weeks. This festival, the Feast of Pentecost, it's a pilgrimage feast. It's where you're supposed to go to Jerusalem, which is why there's all these people here in the first place. God was prepared. He was planning. He was working out his will. And um, it's also called the Feast of Shavuot. He's called the Feast of Weeks. It's also called the Feast of First Fruits. It's found in Leviticus 23. It's found in Exodus. It's found in Deuteronomy. So this festival, the Feast of Pentecost, it's a lot of different names. But here's what it is. This feast happens after the barley harvest and before the wheat harvest. So they're able to get the first fruits. That's why it's called the Feast of First Fruits. They get the first fruits but there's still a harvest yet to come. And stay with me. Think about this. This happens on Pentecost, the time when the first fruits are shown, but there is a harvest yet to come. And you know what I think as we peel this back, what we see? When these people had the Holy Spirit, when they received the Holy Spirit, when they're filled by the Holy Spirit, when they're being used by the Holy Spirit, when he's grabbing a group of people, uniting them together, do you know what? That is just the first fruits. There is a harvest that was yet to come. At the end of this chapter, 3,000 people receive the Holy Spirit. They come into a true relationship with Christ and they receive the Holy Spirit. As you continue through the book of Acts, it will go to 5,000. And guess what? It will continue to the point to here and today when all of us in this room who have a relationship with Christ, we are part of that future harvest. Does that make sense? But think about this. There is still a harvest that is yet to come. There are people all across where you live, where you work, that do not know Christ. And I believe the fact that this is happening on Pentecost is a symbol, is a sign. It's, it's showing us that there is still a harvest that is yet to come. Why do I believe that? Think about what did Jesus say? Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Do not grow weary in doing good, for in the end you will reap a harvest. There is a harvest that is yet to come. And I think if we would realize that there are people that God is longing to bring into, into his glory, may, and there's a harvest that's yet to come, I feel like maybe just maybe we wouldn't spend our lives wasting it on, whether it's on social media or wasting it on the things that so many of us just waste our lives on. There's a harvest that is yet to come. Harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. The question that I kept asking myself this week is, am I living my life acknowledging the fact 
that there is a harvest that is yet to come. The last thing about Pentecost as we peel back, Pentecost is the one festival that all were invited to partake. I don't understand this. Um, there are specific instructions to make sure that the poor, the sojourners, the widows, and the fatherless can partake of the feast. It reminds me of John chapter 12, verse 32, and it's Jesus speaking. He says, and, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. If you are here today and you do not have the Spirit, you don't really have a relationship with Christ, I truly believe that God, that Jesus is seeking to draw you to himself. Maybe you're the harvest, part of the harvest that's yet to come. Maybe there are people at your work. Maybe there are people that, in your home. God is drawing them near. But you know what I think that we do? I think sometimes we go, you know, that person's too far away. Guys, I was too far. I was a 17-year-old, 18-year-old kid who had decided that life was about women and alcohol. But God plucked me up. I truly believe that he wants to do that. Still today, there's a harvest that is yet to come. But the only way that we can, can really be a part of that, we're called to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. We're called to plant seeds and to water them. But guess what? It starts with us having the Spirit, with us being filled by the Spirit, with us being led by the Spirit. I think it is profoundly um, easier when we are united with a group of people. Um, God is looking for workers. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. I can, I can be honest with you. There have been times where I truly have grown weary in this work. I want to be real with you that um, being a, uh, a pastor guy, whatever that means, or being on a leadership team of a church, or, or you know, being together with a group of people for a house church, it's not easy. Um, there are days, maybe even weeks, where I'm like, this is too hard. The enemy would want nothing more than for us as a people to grow weary in doing good. He would want nothing more than to come steal, kill, and destroy. But the, the fact of the matter is, is that this is done on Pentecost would lead me to say that God did it this way because there was a harvest yet to come. And I believe even today, there is still a harvest yet to come. The question really comes down to, how are we spending our lives? If you've grown weary in doing good, you have the Spirit, you're filled by the Spirit, you've been used by the Spirit, but, but maybe that was kind of stuff in the past and lately, it's just, you know, man, just, just go to the Lord. My prayer for today is that today is a day of repentance. Duke talked about this a while ago, but we at the church, we don't really talk about repentance enough. If you read all throughout Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. You see repent so many times. I want you to, I want all of us to really take a look into our lives. And I've been doing this all week. 
If I have the Spirit, am I being filled by the Spirit? Am I being used by the Spirit? Am I united with other believers for the common goal of making His name known? Am I living my life with the acknowledgement that there is a harvest that is yet to come? Ask yourself, Lord, or ask yourself, ask God to, to, to show you if you're weary, ask Him to give you the strength to keep going. Let's pray. God, um, I confess to you that I have definitely have seasons where I am weary. And if I'm honest with you, the harvest that is yet to come is not what's on my mind. What's on my mind is my comfort, my joy, my peace. God, I confess to you that there are times in my life where I um, don't yield to the Spirit, where I maybe quench the Spirit. God, I pray for myself and for anyone else in this room who's in that similar point. We can't, we can't just try harder to do better. We need your help even to yield to the Spirit. So Lord, help us. And God, if there's anyone in this room that does not have the Spirit, that they have never bowed their knee before you and given their life to you, they've never asked for forgiveness of their sins, I pray that today would be the day that that happens. But God, I thank you that you sent a people to speak your name and your love and your grace to me. And God, I pray that you would help us to do the same. We thank you, we praise you, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.